0: Dublin's diverse poetry scene. Poets using their voices to entertain, to move, to take you on a journey,
1: connecting you to grassroots poetry and performance. Good morning, welcome to Spoken Word on 3CR. I'm Tina Janukas. 3CR broadcast from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Cooley Nation. I acknowledge Elders, past and present. Today on the program, I have Bernie M. Janssen. Bernie has been involved in the radical corners of poetry and performance for over 40 years since the 1980s, and I'm delighted to have her on the show today. Like many radical feminist artists, she's also a great collaborator, working with other performers, musicians, writers, composers and visual artists. She has published six books, including Ina, which she performed last year at the inaugural Sonic Poetry Festival in Melbourne. I was privileged to see it, an incredible one-woman poetic explosion, and we'll be talking about that work later in the show. Bernie, welcome to the program. Good morning, Tina. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Bernie, what I find interesting about your work is that you have maintained that early feminist radicalism, even as times have shifted, uh, becoming both more conservative and more radical, depending on what we're looking at, mainstream politics or alternative ways of living. As you first started to come into the scene, was it in radical feminist circles that you found your home or perhaps created your home? I think in the 80s, it
0: was quite interesting. There was like a community writing movement that was occurring at that time. So there's a couple of things, a couple of ways, different ways that I came into poetry. And one was through community writing, which was a time when the voices that were marginalised, so women's voices, migrant voices, working-class voices, so that community writing, that was one place where I found myself... And then also in that time, I think there was a number of women where we found each other. So, you know, you go to a reading and you keep on looking up and go, my goodness me, there's an awful lot of men up there reading, a lot of male poets. In fact, it was a time when I'd met up with Eurata Saznitis and Carmel Bird and we started a reading called Faceless Women Reading. So it was women, all women poets but a mixed audience so in some ways was there a radical feminist yes there was a radical feminist um, movement at that time and part of it was making your own place in that movement yes it's a thing of both feminist community and then I think one of the things that had occurred was, you know, there were people around at that time like Anya Volvitz, for example. And so it were all the conversations that were happening at that time between women who were writing. So, and there were lots of different groups as well because Susan Hawthorne was there. There were all sorts of people. So nearly factions but not factions. Uh, so different groups where politics and feminism were being driven into writing and writing, uh, the making of writing. So in a sense, you were creating that space for yourselves. Well, part of it, absolutely, because, you know, it's like where was our place? Where was our place? Even in the in the 80s, it was like, well, if we want to have a space to read, you know, we did. We had salons, we had people we, we would gather to talk about writing and read each other's writing and we would then also have these readings, usually once a month. And then, of course, there was Shrew Bookshop, which was in, at that time in Gertrude Street. There was collected work. So there was lots of really interesting things happening, both within a sort of a radical poetics, within feminism, within community. There was some sort of,
1: you know, crossover and fertilisation mm. that was occurring. Perhaps you could read a poem from that early period of your work too, Ah, yes. Well,
0: I think Ecstatic, that came out much later, actually. That was probably in the late 80s. So that was published by Post Neo and with Pete Spence, who was a fantastic publisher of experimental, radical writing and very supportive of, uh, you know, invention and pushing the boundaries. So Ecstatic, it's in five sections and the work itself so ecstatic was it was about pushing language about as much as i could possibly push it it's some people have described it as being hallucinatory and if i look at it now it's probably it's it's excessive you know it's fabulously excessive in its its pushing out of language and it's, it's vibrating and uh, I was looking at science and I was looking at fractals and all sorts of things like that at the time and talking about ecology and the way interconnectedness of all things. So that's some of what then fed into the making of this particular work as well as wanting to find an embodiment, you know, um, and because, of course, you know, everyone has been so disembodied and women have been shamed of their bodies. And so this was also about trying to find another way of embodiment through language and the sensuality of language. So from Ecstatic. Tilt body, full lean, in egregia, mouth to lip. Of eye she sips the breathing on her tongue envelops words, plagues, loosing skin, shudders violet, and perpetual motions, aquatic breasts a heft, needling, formless, a tender tips. Startled, razoring, tuliped, invert your palm, iridescent, dew and early, moisture dampening. Clamp hands and sudden shoulders clap, fleshy. Still, focus, eye-quivering hand, drawls. Stroke. Disclosure, undulatory. In weave, throating, larks, tongue, slipped, ear. Sotto voce.
1: What a beautiful reading. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I understood in that reading the way you introduced the poem really gave me access to the words as you were saying them. Ah, well, that's that's rather fortunate, Tina. <laughs> no, 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 I, I, I don't mean it in, in a negative way. I mean that it opened up the poem for me in quite an extraordinary way and allowed me access into the imagery. Uh, yeah, because it can be that, you know,
0: you are coming cold and it's like, yes, there's a whole set of words here, but to sort of be able to place where they had come from, I can understand that. It's like, I mean, it's me, I'm trawling my brain because that thing, it's like, oh, that was written some time ago and what was the motivation? You know, what were the motivations then? What were the readings? What were the conversations that formed then the sort of fascination that one, as a writer, wants to explore and I suppose that's what every book is, isn't it? It's some sort of fascination that you don't actually understand. And so the process of writing then becomes about trying to develop an understanding of that fascination and trying to develop a language
1: that will then articulate that fascination. Absolutely. And the way you read that poem, just listening to you, I can hear years and years of experience in performing your work and the magic of sound coming through in that performance. You know, for me, a poem exists
0: also in the mouth. I know they use the word mouth feel for food, but, you know, like poetry and food, you know, well, really, if you don't have poetry in your food, then, you know, it's a pretty sad thing. So there's two things that happen. One is, as a performer, I want to be able to taste the sounds and then give those to the listener. It's a sonic experience. It's music as well as a poem. But what is a poem if not
1: music? Yes, it's that sensuality of language Mm. um, coming through. It's marvellous. You know, your own background is Dutch, your parents being post-war migrants to Australia following the devastation of World War II in, in Europe, does that history, does that migrant background play out in your own anti-establishment poetics or is it a question of a generational drive to alternative poetics? I think probably both of those. I think
0: that what the experience of being a child of migrants and I didn't, my parents did not teach me to speak Netherlands to speak Dutch. They migrated as an entire family and then married also, you know, non-Dutch speakers. So that meant that family gatherings were then in English rather than in Dutch. But, you know, it's all, it's the food, it's the, the Christmas songs, the stories. So there's this whole world of language and which you begin to understand, but there's also just appreciating language as a sonic realm. So, you know, you would listen, I would listen to it and the mysteries of it. So that was that section. But there was also that section of being uh, separated, being, you know, like removed, that there's a space that is between. You're also inflected by your parents' inflections of the English language. So that shapes the way that I I have some odd grammaticals and I realise that it's because my parents had odd grammaticals. And then And now I've just completely, it's just gone whoosh.
1: Yeah, that other aspect that I was raising was that question of, well, is it also just a, or is it just a generational drive to an alternative poetics? Yeah, I think also that
0: it was at that time. Look, there's so many things that come into what is it that makes you make your work the way you make your work. It was all of that milieu at the time. You know, it was. There's a lot of people, when when you think of the names that we've been talking about, it's like Anya Volvis, Yorata Saznaitis, you think of Pio. There are lots of people at that time, you know, pushing language around, not wanting to be confined in the bonds of that language. And I mean, that is both a drive, I think a feminist drive, is like, I can't articulate myself in that language. And I think also that... It is um, as part of being sort of in between Dutch and English, feeling that there's ways of saying things that you need to find. You know, it's that simple. Languages give you opportunities to say things in one language that you don't in another and somehow being aware of that. So being pressed into going, ah, how do I say that? this thing that is in my head. I can't say it in this language. I need to find another way to do that.
1: Welcome back. I'm Tina Janukas, and you're listening to Spoken Word on 3CR. Today I'm speaking with poet and performer Bernie M. Janssen, who has been active in the Australian poetry and performance scene for over 40 years with six books to her name and productions and collaborations with other artists. Bernie, last year I saw as part of the inaugural Grassroots Sonic Poetry Festival your extraordinary performance of Ina, which is Your sixth book of poetry, and which made me think a great deal about what a feminist poetics is, what an alternative poetics is, and what lessons can we draw from 40 years of radicalism. Oh, Tina, that's a huge, (laughs) that's a huge question. It's a huge work.
0: It's a huge, it is a huge work. It's a huge work. So if I just refer completely to Aina and think about Aina, she reflects upon that period of the 70s. So Ina is a character she's not me. She's a bit older than me but you know she's a work that was made out of 40 years of conversations, reading it brings all of those things into it. What is interesting about Ina is that she, she's remembering that whole the 60s and the 70s and the issues that actually sort of fired women up to say, enough, this is enough, really, we can be. So that's her first bit. And then because it is Ena, older Ena, reflecting, and she's also looking at it and looking back at that time, and the great benefit of hindsight, the great benefit of getting a bit older and looking back and saying, oh, my goodness, yes, well, you know, we did push things around, we did ask questions, we were radical, we were very young and we made a lot of those sort of youthful indiscretions that one does and um, you don't know everything. <laughs> you just don't know everything. You think you know a lot and then you look back and you go, oh my goodness, there was a lot of stuff that we did not we did not see, we didn't recognise. And so for Ina... It's now like, oh, well, yes, we got to that point then. But now, did we question our own privilege? In fact, I think this might be a really good moment where I read from the consciousness. Ina speaks of consciousness raising.
1: Oh, yes. That's an amazing moment in the work.
0: Because I think that it's at that moment when she's reflecting on the moment of consciousness raising that she thinks yeah, we did. We talked about a lot of things that were really important, but there was a whole lot of stuff that we didn't say. So I think I'll read from that because it probably says it better than I could write at this very moment. So, Ina speaks of consciousness raising. Every Tuesday evening through autumn and winter, nine women met, sat in circle. Each woman eye to eye, each woman to speak, the rules of the circle, what was spoken of equal value, equal importance, was important. All knowledge and experience valued. Over months of meetings, our stories made public innermost, Secret, anger, fear, anxiety, pain, guilt, boredom, resentments, frustrations. Our seeing that not just me, social problem, political. Ah yeah... There were some that could talk and talk. No space for the quieter ones, for those who said little, for whatever their reasons. That talking, talking crowded out others, themselves. No heed to make a place for their thoughts to gain utterance. Well, they meant well, but did not usually often, always, see that their experience was not necessarily every woman's experience and that they did not necessarily know or understand every other woman's experience. Did we recognise the different faces of our own selves? Did we recognise our own privilege? Could We hear beyond the echo of our own voice. We listened. But what did we hear? Did we have the ears to hear? What else did we not see?
1: What I loved about Edna is it's powerful, it's creative, it's raw, it's questioning. It's never nostalgic. Ina has a hard eye on her experience. Yeah, I think that's, that's true. That
0: is an interesting thing, I think, that women will look at themselves critically and will look at their experiences. And I shouldn't say that all women, having just said that I shouldn't speak for all women, I can't. But I think Ina does. She's, she reflects she analyses, she can see that you know, that uh, it wasn't all fabulous. It was, in fact, you know, this was, it was a great thing, but it was not perfect and we are not perfect. And so Ina does, She's she has got a pretty clear, a clear insight into what she was and what she is now. And I think that's the thing is that there's a sense of there was that raging feminism, it was like, and, and the raging, like, yes, it's the sexual revolution, Yahoo, cut loose, let's just get rid of everything and then, you know, yep, I'm shaking, I'm shaking my jail. Do not tell me that I cannot be anything. I'm. She's shaking that out. So she did all of that and then gets to the point where, much older, fingers crossed, much wiser she is able to say, that was fabulous, not perfect, and now there are new, th- new things, new ways of being, new ways of listening, new ways, new things to engage with. There's still growth.
1: It's not a static thing. I'm glad you put it this way because when I saw the performance, that's really what struck me the most was that she was not looking back nostalgically or she was not ossified into a particular viewpoint. She was still developing. She was still growing. She was still in it.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the thing is that the three stages, the three, there are three sections in Enos. So the first one, Speak Bitterness, which is much more about that experience. And then the second section, Mourn, so in mourn, um, which is a video poem, and unfortunately the night that you, it, we had... I remember. ..we had technical failure. Um, but in that poem, she is reflecting... So she's taking her radical eye to the current... ..to where we are in Australia at the moment. And so in that poem, it's it really is mourning what the legacy of white colonisation has been. So in that piece, she is just looking at the massacres that have occurred and saying, we must all mourn this. You know, I think that if we are going to move forward as a nation, we have to look it in the eye. And I think that is the thing with Ina. She is looking things in the eye and saying, well, yes, as for herself and then as a, an Australian looking at this piece of history and saying that was a horrible period and the legacy is horrendous and we need to look at it, we need to talk about it and we need to somehow heal. So that is why it is also there because it's something that needs to be aired. And then in the last section in Listen, she's still she's finding, she's she's exploring, she's exploring the idea of what is it to listen. You know, it's a word that we use so easily and it's not an easy thing to get to. So to listen to yourself, listen to other stories, listen to voices and the nuances that you get in people and in the environment. So that one is very much where she is within a natural environment and
1: just listening. So in a way, Enoch, is a project in the making over many decades and she becomes a model, an experiment as to how one carries on one's radicalism past one's early youthful, uh, what's the word, youthful No, um, oh, well, exuberance.
0: Exuberance. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think that's exactly it. And it's, it was a very interesting project just to actually to look at the fact and it, it's about questioning. It's that ongoing questioning. It's not accepting that there is, you know, that this is enough. Mm. And if you take something from, you know, the youthfulness, we're going, that no, there's more, there's more, there's more to it. I'm still saying I think both... Ina as a character, but also myself, it's like, no, there's so much more to explore, there's so much more to discover. And we haven't, you know, like in terms of feminism and, you know, there's just so much. Patriarchal capitalism has to be defeated, you know, that's the simple thing. It's like it will crush the world it will crush the people in the world the planet will survive but if we keep on the way that we're going I can't use the word on air that I would like to use there but it will not be a happy outcome I don't think let's have a
1: final poem from Ina okay
0: Ina says in the name of the father Sir, wash, sir, shop, sir, cook, sir, irks, sir, dust, sir, no equal work, equal pay, sir, no equal access, sir, education, finance, jobs, rights, sir, three bags, sir, slippers, dinner, tea and tea, sure, sure, sir, her, she, but eaten. Turn over sucked, she b- ends, twirls, smiles, b- aches, cleans, bears. Bears she silent Good girly, nice girly, polite girly in the name of the father. A dress. Really frothy sponge like? Yes, yes, kitten. Silly little girlie. She sure as hell sits per waiting. Dumb as clucky Bubba Goo Needs a daddy take care of. Pat, pat, patty. She, she, she. Honeymouth home. Baby carrying, caring. You to baby. Oh, she so... So knows who, boss, general, top, dog, position, down, missy, mission, all, splayed, messy, her hair, not smooth as grazed, knees, no, no.
1: Thank you, Bernie. That was marvellous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Tina. A pleasure. I'm Tina Janukas, and you've been listening to Spoken Word on 3CR. Today, I've been speaking with Bernie M. Janssen about her work and long presence in Australia's poetry and performance scene. Her latest book is Ina, available from Hullock Studios. So Google it and it'll come up. Spoken Word broadcasts every Thursday at 9am on 855am or you can download the podcast. Thank you for listening.